0: Can you hear me? Maybe it won't fall out of this pocket. So like Andy said, we're going to be talking about girl disciples, answering the question why were there no girl disciples. So we're going to look at a lot of different phases of that. But um, as usual, I just want to say good morning to you as one of you. I stand here as a member of this family just like anyone else in this room. I've got no credentials behind me, but I'm happy to be here with you. Okay, so as a matter of fact, since Andy already told you, there were were girl disciples, lots of them. You like my picture? Yeah, The definition of a disciple is a learner or a pupil. So we're talking about anybody who follows Jesus. They were called disciples. They, we are disciples. They were disciples. Jesus actually revolutionized how women were perceived in the world. We're going to talk about that. The impact of what Jesus did and how he did it and what was done was completely upside down based on what the circumstances were at that time. Just to look at the number of ladies' names that are familiar to you, to me. look, Think about Lydia. That doesn't come until the Book of Acts, but she's huge. We have several Marys, so many Marys that nobody can really keep them straight because that's kind of the way it goes. We have lots of those, and we have women at the cross. We have Mary and Martha. We've got all kinds of women in our stories. So you're already aware that they're there. Um, Andy looked at a couple of passages a few weeks ago, and we're going to take a look back at them again. One is in John 11, and here we're talking about when Lazarus died and how Martha met him and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Um, And that conversation takes place. But she says down in verse 27, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come into the world. That is disciple type of conversation. I believe that you are the Son of God. That's disciple. That's a follower. That's a learner. And then when she goes and tells Mary about the fact that the teacher has called her, Mary jumps up and goes to him. And that, again, is a discipling situation where she's following after Jesus. Another one that Andy brought up was in Luke 10, where we're talking about Mary and Martha and how Jesus goes to visit in their home. Now, when we have Jesus come in, we have, you're familiar with the story where Jesus is talking in the room and Mary is sitting at his feet, listening to him, and Martha's busy in the back, making all the things that have to be made in order to entertain and be hospitable at the time. So when we talk about Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, we're actually talking about something that demonstrates this is a Jewish idiom. It demonstrates how she is listening to him. She's sitting at his feet listening to him. That's another idea of being a disciple. And then when Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're doing so many things and you're upset. And I'm kind of paraphrasing here. But few things are needed or, and indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from her. Now, that's always very intriguing about what is this better way. But what really comes out to me here is that Jesus is telling Mary, who's sitting there listening to him, she's being. And she is in the better place than Martha, although we love what Martha does for us. But Martha is doing. So you've got a balance and a comparison here between being and doing. And I think many times in our personal walk with God, we're doing, 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 doing. But we're not necessarily being. And those were some of the songs that really spoke to me this morning about being in the thin place and all I need is Jesus. And that's being. So it was a very... um, Another uh, sighting of women in the disciple realm. But the best one that I love so much is the very beginning of Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Soon afterward, Jesus traveled from one town and village to another, preaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Don't miss that. Coming back to that. The twelve were with him, as well as the twelve, those guys over there, the twelve, as well as some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, there's one of your Marys, from whom seven demons had gone out. Joanna, the wife of Herod's household manager, Chusa, Oh, how I wish I could have been in that household to hear those conversations. Can you get that connection? She's the wife of the manager of Herod. Okay. And Susanna and many others. These women were ministering to them out of their own means. So not only were the women there and discipling and traveling and learning from and sitting at the feet of, but they're given their money to support the whole situation of Jesus and what his work was. So, true, we have all of our women here as we've mentioned, but there were no females in the inner twelve. Okay, Now why is that? It's certainly not because God didn't have a favorable opinion of them. It's certainly nothing that puts down women. If we look at What place women held in those days, it was nothing like we would experience here. It's probably nothing like even women experience in those countries where they don't have lives like we have. It's probably far worse than that. Actually, in the Jewish culture, if the husband got sick of the wife, just kick her out. Women were disposable, they were dispensable, when a woman was cut out of a marriage, or had to force to leave a marriage, she had very few recourses. She could go back to some other family member and hope that they would let her stay there. That's not a position I would ever seek. Or she had to become a prostitute. There was no women's employment. So it was very, very devastating. The women had no place of any kind of authority, certainly not at all. No other great teacher in Jesus' time would have ever had women coming with him as disciples. That would totally be unheard of. And no one would have listened to Jesus had he decided to introduce how he really felt about women into his inner 12. Okay? Okay? There's also that overlay, which I don't have an answer for you today, on the fact that in the Old Testament, you had the 12 sons, the 12 tribes. So now you've got the 12 men here. So you've got the mirror image in terms of old and new. And so that was consistent as well. However, God, the Bible has much to say about how God sees and changes this situation as opposed to how women were viewed at the time that this particular, that the Bible was written. Luke, remember we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now Luke has got such an a highlighted place for women in his gospel. It's really very interesting to see how he emphasizes the women. He's the highlight for all of this. No other gospel gives as much attention to women as Luke does. And actually, I call them Luke's women. There are 13 women that are mentioned in Luke that are not mentioned anywhere else in the other gospels. So I have a list of those for you. First of all, in chapter one and two, remember Luke is the gospel that has the big Christmas story. So there's several chapters about Jesus being announced, Mary being pregnant, going to Bethlehem, the birth and all of that. So in chapters one and two, you've got Mary and Elizabeth, her sister, her cousin, who was also, no, her sister. No, because John was the cousin of, of Jesus. So it had to be the sister. Okay, cousin, all right, whatever. All right, I got it. <laughs> um, okay, so you've got Anna. Well, I haven't gotten to Anna You've got Elizabeth and you've got Mary. And then you've got Anna, who's the prophetess when Jesus is born in the temple. And so she's presenting her prophecy about the birth. Then you also have the widow of Nain in chapter 7, where she, her son, had died. And so you've got her mentioned You've got the women who anointed Jesus' feet in chapter 7. That's when she comes in and wipes his feet with her hair. Those who supported Jesus, which we already looked at. The woman with the blood disorder who touched the, the hem of his cloak. That's a beautiful story. That's in Luke only. Then you have Mary and Martha chapter which is mentioned in Luke. The daughter of Abraham, this is the woman who was all bent over and Jesus healed her in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, which caused quite a stir. You've got the poor widow who put in, out of the many pennies, minimum amount that she had, she put in all that she had into the offering plate and how that was highlighted. You have the daughters of Jerusalem who lamented Jesus and you also have the women who watched the crucifixion. Women, 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 women. Oh, my goodness. How did Luke know about all of these things, and how did he know how to even call these people by name? Because he talked to all the eyewitnesses when he wrote his gospel. All of this was known, and he went and gathered all of this information and put it in to the gospel. When we think about... Jesus surrounded by his learners. You can think of it sort of like a movie set or a play, where you know when at the end of the movie how you've got pages and pages and pages of everybody who supported the production of this particular movie. Well, that's kind of like it always was. The women were in all of those background roles, and they were also in the front of the, ro- of the, of the roles as well because we see them highlighted in Luke, but they're always behind the scenes for support. There's a book named Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes by Ken Bailey, and he had a lot of really cool information. He's very familiar with the Middle East, that's where he does all of his work. And he mentions in his book the radical departure that was introduced by Jesus and how he inaugurated something completely different in the equality of men and women. So this is Jesus coming through. In Acts 9, you have, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. Parentheses, Dorcas. So disciple is that word that we're looking at. It's the same word, mathetria. Close enough. That one, yeah. So she's being called a disciple, and she's a woman. Okay. You also have in Matthew 12... Jesus stretches his hands out to disciples. Now, in Matthew 12, you have Mary and her sons trying to talk with Jesus, and and you can't get inside. So they send a messenger into Jesus to say, your family's outside to speak with you. And Jesus says, who are my disciples? See the word again. These are my disciples. These are my mothers, my brothers, my sisters. So Jesus is all-inclusive in terms of who's in his circle. He's got no superiority of one gender over another gender. They're all part of his family. We already talked about Luke 8, 1 through 3. But what Ken Bailey will say is that even in modern culture today, like we described there where women traveled along with the twelve. Even in modern Middle Eastern culture today, that would absolutely not occur. So that was very revolutionary, what Jesus was willing to introduce, even in those times. would have a hard time introducing that even today. In Luke 10, when we talked about Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, if you notice in Acts 22 where Paul is listing all of his credentials of things that he could be boastful about and how he was a Pharisee of Pharisees and raised as a Jew and so smart and sat at the feet of Gamaliel. Okay? So that indicated that he was a disciple and it's the same kind of verbiage that was used for Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. So, did Jesus' view of women... Affect the content and style of his teaching. Totally. Let me show you some things that I discovered in looking at this. Many explanations that Jesus gave and parables that he offered included the male side and the female side. For instance, when he's explaining early in his ministry about how God works amongst people, he goes back to the days of Elijah and explains what was going on, and he talks about the widow of Zarephath. He mentions her specifically, and he also mentions Naaman, the Syrian who was cured of leprosy. So you've got the female and the male included in that particular paragraph. You also have in Luke 5, where they talk about, Jesus is talking about combining old and new and, he's, and he mentions you don't take a new piece of cloth and sew it onto an old piece of cloth because in those days, as still today, sometimes things shrink. So if you have created a garment and some of it's new and some of it's old, all of a sudden it's torn and pulled away so it's misshapen, it's useless, That's, that would be, have indicated a female position where she's doing the garment sewing. But he also has in that story the wineskins the old wineskins and the new wine going into into old wineskins and that the wine would swell and burst. And so that would be more considered a male illustration because they would be the ones doing the wineskins. So he's combining male and female again. Then another one is assurances of prayer answered. And his story included, if you recall, the friend that came at midnight and he didn't have any bread to offer to the guest and so he went and knocked on the neighbor's door, and the neighbor's already, you know, found asleep. and doesn't want to come out. Well, that would be a male situation, and the story reads that because he kept asking persistence in prayer, the guy gets up, and he gives him some bread and goes back to sleep. But then you've also got, and this is one of my favorites ever, the story of the widow in front of the judge. The judge had no fear of God, didn't care at all about the widow. But because the widow kept... A coming and pestering him over and over and over again. He said, oh, goodness, get rid of her. Give her whatever she wants. And he uses that as an illustration of answered prayer. And I use that myself in praying for my my family. And I'll come again and again and again. And I'm hoping he gets really sick of me and just grants those desires, same kind of picture, but you've got the male picture, male side of that story, and you've got the female side, right there, in the same paragraph. Individual pictures of women, did you ever think, I mean, we kind of read this stuff and we don't think about, like, the woman at the well in John 4, are you kidding? Jesus would never have been by himself to speak to a woman alone. He would never ask her for a drink. Jesus intentionally went through Samaria. Jews didn't go through Samaria. They didn't like them. But he not only chose to do that, but he sent his guys away. So he was there alone. He knew the woman was coming, of course, and he talked with her. And he had the most life-transforming conversation ever. She just drops everything and runs away and tells everybody she knows that She is the first one, the female, who announces that the Messiah has come. Don't miss that. That's the first person that Jesus expressed himself to and she recognized who he was, a female. And I often like to dream ahead and think maybe she was one of the ones at the crucifixion, ones in the upper room, because her life was so dramatically changed. You have the woman caught in adultery. Now that put Jesus in a tough spot. So he just started writing in the ground. And eventually his method of, of working with people dispersed all those men. You who are without sin, throw the first stone. And so he was able then to conversate with the daughter, with, a, with the woman who was there. That's huge. And that's another highlighted story about women alone the woman at Simon's house which we already talked about highlighted there completely and of course the Pharisees and the host who was having the dinner were ready to have a complete come apart at what this woman was doing with Jesus I mean she's crying and wiping his feet and anointing them and oh my gosh and so Jesus just highlights her and makes her the star of the show as a female, and even as a female which was disregarded, looked down upon by her peers. And then the one who touched Jesus' cloak, this is the one he turned around and called her daughter. That's unheard of to have said that to someone, daughter. It's just a beautiful story. There's lots of stories like that. When the Gospel writers put together their Gospels, they all chose to show how Jesus elevated women. Mark particularly depicts the crucifixion and the burial of Jesus with men. Nicodemus shows up. The tomb is Joseph's. They ask for the body. They bury Jesus. That's men, 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 men. But the resurrection the resurrection's totally girl. <laughs> they are the ones who makes all this discovery. The guys don't show up until they get told what's going on, and they didn't even believe the women. So the women were the ones there watching all of this unfold at the very glorious morning it occurred. Luke presents 27 cases of pairing, men and women. Starting with the angel who appears to Zechariah and to Mary, both of men and women, and also ends with these men and women at the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Pairing 27 cases of those. I don't have all those listed for you. So, look around. Look at Waters Edge Church. Look at the website. Look at what goes on here. This is not a feminist-type church. <laughs> but women are prominent. Women and men work hand-in-hand hand together. We've got We have women on phases of leadership. We've got women who devote so much of their talents. We have women involved here. But the interesting thing that I want to talk about now is women and men generally in the population... Let's just call it faith movements or churches or whatever. So often, women are outnumbering men. Have you noticed that? It's like we have men's initiatives. Even theodicy has a men's initiative to find where are these men and how can we get them more involved in leadership, in attendance, in being present, in being part of, The hierarchy of what's going on and I can tell you that when we all work together good stuff happens. We need the men in the leadership. I'm currently involved in a um, 18-month program for spiritual formation from people all over the country and we have 27 people in the cohort. Eleven are men. Now, I was happy to see 11 because very typically in a situation like that, you might have four or five, you know? We need the men in to take, come back and take part. Think about how it used to be where the men did everything and told the women what to do. Well, we need to have this kind of pendulum come back to the center because we all are gifted by God, And when we get given gifts, have you noticed when they list all the spiritual gifts in the scriptures? There's never a gender. This gift is for males. This gift is for females. We're all in it together. We are all part of a family. So, we're going to do a pair, prayer, and share. And what we have for you there is how is God calling you to lead? How is God equipping you to lead? And that's for all of us, just people, us people. And where would you like to do more? Give it some thought. Um, there's lots of stuff that can be done with our church. So just find a two or three people, whatever you're comfortable with, and just talk about what do you feel God has equipped you to do and where would you like to be involved? We need you. So take a couple minutes and just talk. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) great job thank you what is what is that new guy's name dominic donovan Donovan. donovan thank you i want to say hi to him (laughs) Thank <laughs> you. i 2, three, three, two. Two more. Two more minutes. one minute Okay, let's wrap it up, come back. So should we get out long lists to start signing names up and all the different things that go on? We'll follow up with you. So let's let's just do a couple more things. And let's go to some verses that will really put the hair on the back of your neck up. You ready for this? Because we have to address the things that will be thrown up also, in addition to all that we have seen about how Jesus feels about women. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 14.34. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission. Well... I guess I'll go home now. <laughs> so what do you do with verses like that? Because if you if you have the idea of how Jesus felt about women, <clears throat> excuse me, and you mention it in conversation and somebody throws this up at you, what do you say? What do you say? So it's important that we look at where these letters came from, what is the purpose of the letters, who wrote the letters, when and why. So that's all called context, context, context. These letters to different churches, whether you're talking about Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, Corinthians, these are letters to specific churches that were then passed around to all of the other churches because wordage from Paul or from anyone writing the letter was important. It wasn't like now where you can talk to Bolivia tomorrow or right now if you want to. It's not like that. The written word was very valuable in those days. So they passed all these letters around. This was written to a church which was pretty much out of control. In fact, a few years ago, I heard a whole sermon series on first and second Californians. (laughs) You know, and a lot of stuff just doesn't change much, you know? So this this is not Jesus talking to his people. This is Paul talking to a specific church. And remember also, we only have the letter that Paul wrote. We don't have the letter that came to Paul explaining all the stuff that was going on, okay? So we only have one side of the conversation, so keep that in mind. In this section, chapter 14, Paul is addressing order in worship. Now, can you picture a worship situation, a church setting where it's all bedlam, and he's trying to say, you sit here, you sit here, let's get some order here. And so that's all coming out of that particular section. And bear in mind, in chapter 11 of that same book, Paul says, women are not to pray with their heads uncovered. So, if you're going to park on this particular one about women staying quiet in church, then what are you going to do about the ones we choose not to park on? You see? So much of it has to do with the locality the time that it was written, the purpose primarily for what it was written. These are not principles, they are particularities. All right, so this is why we, we really, I mean, that letter, the whole Bible that God has given us is life, life, and life. No matter how wise we are and how much we learn and study and think and whatever, God's got the words. And he's got the last word, actually. And we need to study that book, and we need to understand it. And if you don't like the version you're reading, it doesn't speak to you, there's lots of them. Pick up the message, that'll speak to you. Blending these together, but learning what is in that book shows us how to answer these types of situations. If that's not bad enough, we will do another one. First Timothy, 2.12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Hmm. My husband in the last, we've been married 11 years and he is the first one ever in my life to give me a voice. And I was allowed to have a voice. Now that's a long life. To this day, he regrets it many times. But I do not remain quiet. And I am able to speak. And we all speak. So what's what's going on here with Timothy? Now, Timothy was like a son to Paul. He was not a... a physical son, but he was a spiritual son. He traveled with Paul all different places. And many times, Paul would leave Timothy behind, where he started a new church to kind of like carry on, Tim. And he would go off and start a new church somewhere else. Well, can you imagine the chaos of carrying on? I mean, in this country, we have lots of history of Christianity and churches, but they don't have any history of Christianity, where he's leaving Timothy, so we have again to look at context. Now, where do you think Tim was left behind as shepherd in this particular letter? Ephesus. Ephesus was a bustling city. It was a huge seaport. It had. Lots of mercantile stuff going on. Money, 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 money. If you read in Acts what happened in Ephesus, this is where the people were turning to God and they're all burning their magic books and all their stuff. And so the people who make all these magic books and make the silver idols and everything that they're doing... They are in such an uproar because of this perceived lack of income for themselves. This is when they drag Jason and drag Paul and everything going into the temple or going into the governor, the, the place of government, to be brought before for the disruptions that they're causing. So in Ephesus was a temple of Diana. And Diana is the fertility god. And so they have this whole temple going on for fertility, whether it's for crops or for their own birth or their cattle or whatever. And in, the, in this temple was a lot of sexual stuff going on, a lot of prostitutes, temple prostitutes were there, a lot of orgies. So they're into fertility, so you can imagine what's going on in this temple. So this is the context in which um, Paul is sending his message And he's saying that there are many admonitions designed here to encourage a very different type of church atmosphere. And that's what he's saying here, is to try to corral this brand new church that's being set up so that it has some order in worship and it is not going after the current culture of the area, which is very much into materialism and sexuality. There's lots of other examples that we could use of problematic verses for what we're talking about today. But the point remains that God, Jesus, sees us as people. He doesn't say, oh, well, this one's a woman so she can come later or she can get less or she can do less. He sees us as people and he loves us both equally. Why does Jesus make such a big deal about being friends with women, for talking to women, for putting women in the place of prominence and having women in so many stories? Why does he do that? Because he valued them and because they have a place in his story. Jesus came to us to bring the kingdom of God to earth. Remember when we mentioned that way back earlier? He came to bring the kingdom of God to earth. We tend to think that Jesus came to die for our sins, which he did. But he didn't need all those three years to do that. He came to crash into this whole world system to bring the availability of the kingdom of God to us right now. Right now. It's not heaven when we die. The kingdom of God is right here, right now. We are invited into it. We can participate in it or we can sit and watch it. But it's here. And that's what the whole story is all about. Male and female. Now think about this. In Genesis, God created male and female. Jesus comes crashing in, bringing the kingdom with him. And he is bringing in male and female. Imago Dei, made in the image of God, and they're both there in both places. It's a huge point. I want to leave you with one final picture, and this is such an important picture. This is the picture of the prodigal son, which Rembrandt painted. It's it's housed now in St. Petersburg over in Russia. And it's... A very moving picture. If you look at it, you say, oh, gosh, that's great. Let's, what else is there? What's for lunch? You know? But let me point out a couple of things. You see the prodigal son there. He's kneeling in front of his father. If you look at his feet, he has like one sandal. He's at the lowest of the lowest. And he's got his whole speech rehearsed. If you read the story, he's coming back to tell the father what a mistake he made. He should never have left. Can he please have a job? He's sick of starving. He's eating the pig food, and he's about to die. And the father is just looking for him and looking for him and looking for him. And when he sees the prodigal, he runs out there, and he greets the prodigal. And the prodigal gets started talking about what he's done wrong in his whole speech, and the father wants none of it. He just throws his arm around him. Now, let me show you the beauty and the secret in this particular painting. Look at the hands of the father. Do you see the hand as we're looking at it on our right side? That is a strong, sturdy, powerful, masculine hand. The Father's other hand does not match, and that's not a mistake. Do you see the other hand is far smoother, far gentler, far far more embracing? That's the female side and the male side together in the Father. That's just a magnificent message. That's all I have for you today, and I thank you for your time.